Welcome to Your Infinite Health. Are you getting older? Are you feeling it? How would you like to do that in reverse? We're your host, Dr. Tripp, and Lene. We've run an integrative medicine practice for 13 years. Together, we have 60 years of combined experience helping clients. We've helped tens of thousands achieve success in health and live longer, happier lives. In this show, we'll cover peer-reviewed and evidence-based integrative approaches to creating the health you've always wanted. We also share professional experience we see in the field every day. So if you're ready to feel, look, and live your best life, you're in the right place. Welcome to your Infinite Health Podcast. Trip. Lene. Did you know that Spider-Man has a winter jacket made completely out of Mediterranean flatbread? What? Yeah, it's a pita parka. Oh my God. Peter, pita parka. <laughs> it's a pita parka. <laughs> Thank you, Lene. <laughs> okay, so we had a really good episode previously on testosterone as it relates to men and some misinformation, some benefits, what to look out for, symptoms, pellets. It's, it was chock full of a lot of information targeted with respect to testosterone for men. And I wanted to kind of pick back up on the testosterone topic, but I wanted to shift to testosterone for women. Do you find that? Can we talk about testosterone and prostate cancer? For women? <laughs> oh, wait, no. No. <laughs> but, oh, wait, you want to talk about that now? Oh, well, no, I guess not. Maybe yeah. we'll save that. Let's save that because I really want to go into. <laughs> Aren't you glad I'm not a doctor? <laughs> I really want to go into testosterone as it relates to women. Mm hmm. Um, because maybe women aren't aware, maybe there's women who aren't aware that they might need testosterone. I think a lot of men, maybe in the South specifically, aren't aware that women need testosterone. <laughs> Why is that? May I ask? It's just like, it's just maybe not something that is in their awareness. I don't know. So anyway, let's clarify. Do women, first of all, do women need Testosterone replacement therapy? Well, women need testosterone. Yes. Why? Why? Because it's a component of basic hormone physiology for women also. It's just like for men need estradiol and estriol and... Oh, yeah, we'll have to have estrone. another topic about I mean, that. Yeah, I mean, we it's those are really important hormones for both men and women, yeah. So at what age do you find that a woman may need to start getting into replacement for testosterone? Okay, so normal optimum levels of hormones and optimum health really are probably related to, in, in an age range, are related to, are to between the ages of 18 and 25. So 18 to 25 are those optimum ranges and uh, that we have a, a complete 
complete resource of, of stem cells and things like that that can replace any deficits immediately. However, after the age of 25, that those resources, and that's on the average, it may be a little longer, a little shorter, depending on the individual, but, but what happens is that, that those stem cells then decrease and they're declining and the available repairs are not present. So levels, typically levels tend to start gradually declining after 25 or so. And certainly by the age of 30 or so, female hormones are already starting to trend off. And the most sensitive of those are DHEA, testosterone, and and then subsequently later on in the later 30s, the progesterone starts to, to fade. And then obviously in the later 40s, basically estradiol starts falling off. And all of those follow up that same pattern for all women. So realistically speaking, females after the age of around 30 or so are probably sensing to a certain degree the effects of testosterone deficiency. So like what would they be experiencing? What are some of the symptoms that a woman might experience? So testosterone and estradiol in women actually assist our mitochondria, their mitochondria to produce energy. So Can you tell Tracy in Wisconsin what mitochondria are? So mitochondria are little organs inside the cell that actually, that actually produce our energy. So they actually produce the ATP that serves the cell for ATP adenosine triphosphate, which is a, an energy source for most of the reactions in the body. And that ATP is produced mostly in the mitochondria. Not to be confused with the midichlorians uh, from Star Wars. Yes. Well, I'm wondering if that would, there was a correlation there, actually. But, yeah, not to be confused. Uh, okay. 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 So, anyway, continue on. So, at around the age of, at around the age of 30 or so, those, all the hormones are starting to drop off in that we, we see... DHEA and, and let me talk a little bit about DHEA on the side here. DHEA is dehydroepiandrosterone, which is a hormone, is a mother hormone, so to speak, that helps the adrenal glands and the ovaries produce testosterone for women. So DHEA is then, then it is probably the most sensitive and its production starts declining earlier on. And then testosterone responds by dropping also ultimately. So sometimes in my practice, I can have testosterone level optimum, more optimal testosterone levels achieved simply by administering DHEA. Uh, and that is sometimes, but very often the effect is not as, not as significant as giving just a teeny tiny bit of testosterone, which actually women, you were talking about symptomatology. I think women tend to have the same symptomatology as men. I mean, they'll be a little moodier, their focus will I don't be think as... you used the word moody when you were describing symptoms for men. I did not. No, no you did not. My bad. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. yeah, so men are moody also. Oh, without don't we not... know it? Yes, yes, we do. <laughs> what? <laughs> Yeah, so uh, moodiness, uh, melancholy, that type of thing can be quite prevalent in in individuals without adequate testosterone levels. And so women can have that too. 
it doesn't have the same the same intensity of effect as as insufficiencies and in, in estradiol for women, but it's still testosterone is actually converted into estradiol. So by an aromatase, which basically takes basically takes the testosterone and turns it into estradiol. So testosterone is a source of estradiol for women. Interesting. Yeah, really. Okay, so symptom-wise, a woman can become moody, melancholy. Does she also, because when we were talking about men, you really only mentioned loss of focus and memory. That's all the same symptoms. All the same symptoms. So repeat those for the woman who might not have been listening to testosterone for men. The symptoms are? Oh, right. So uh, (laughs) lack of focus, stamina memory, some short-term memory loss. And that brings up actually the interesting, there's an interesting correlation with, with dementia and testosterone in both men and women. There's a, an inverse relationship between testosterone concentration and, and the presence of, for example, certain protein bi- markers of Alzheimer's disease. So it's a, just an interesting correlation. I'm not sure that they've proven a causative effect, but it's definitely a correlation. So memory loss, lack of focus, lack of stamina, lack of energy could cause muscle deterioration. So that's that also starts happening in the in the early 30s. So the sarcopenia of aging is what that's called, sarcopenia being the loss of musculature. And and that's correlated with aging. So as women as women and men lose their testosterone or have suboptimal testosterone levels, they're much more prone to losing their musculature, their bony density. So testosterone plays a role in women also for bone density. So testosterone and estradiol together are directly correlated with osteopenia and osteoporosis. So all of those things, if they're not in, remain in those optimum levels, then these individuals have a much greater propensity to develop these, these metabolic and corporeal problems over the course of time. So women seem to, unlike men, go through various premenopausal, menopausal, perimenopausal, postmenopausal stages. Does their testosterone levels and supplementation that would the need would vary depending on where they are in that life cycle? Well, certainly. So you would treat a woman who's postmenopausal differently than a woman who is. Usually, the need is going to be higher. In a postmenopausal woman, the need is higher. Correct. So, the, but uh, then again, the caveat there also is activity. So, if you've got a postmenopausal woman who's very active, playing tennis, doing all sorts of great things, very active physically, she's going to need even more testosterone than the woman who's a sedentary postmenopausal woman, not doing much. You you kind of glossed over the role testosterone plays in the libido with respect to men. Does it? How does that, is that different for women? No, no, it's the, it's virtually the same. I think libido in women is typically related more to estradiol. I was going to say it was typically related more to the, to (laughs) her reaction to the dude in her life. (laughs) But my my bad, go ahead. (laughs) It's hard to want to, when you're with a jerk. Yes, (laughs) ma'am. 
<laughs> so, okay, but let's get back to the science. <laughs> so, so yeah, estradiol and testosterone both play a significant role. You know, and uh, clinically what I see is, let's talk a little bit about the levels too, those levels, optimum levels for women. Yeah. The normal levels that are, that you see on the laboratories are nowhere near the levels that where I see women on testosterone uh, and estradiol replacement therapy thrive. So uh, the cycling of estradiol is its its own entity, but the levels, typical normal levels that we see in in women on a laboratory, we really don't know where those figures come from. They pick a, a population of women, they draw testosterone levels in that, and then they put a bell curve and statistically they say the two standard deviations from mean from the highest levels here, mean highest levels, are the normal levels for women. And that typically runs anywhere from, I think it's 15 nanogram per milliliter to 45. And so, and again, we don't know who those women are or what kind of, or if they have symptoms or not. And basically it's a population of women that taken randomly and then boom, you get a normal. So normal is not optimal. And that's something that I really, want to stress to everybody that normal is not optimal and it should not be considered optimal because because it depends on age and individual lifestyles and individual life occurrences and exposures that 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 define define where an individual is in their life with relation to these these optimums so i mean you could have somebody that's young and exposed to all sorts of toxins and things like that very early on could have could have like that the 28 year old or 26 year old that i had with absolutely low testosterone levels i mean does androgen exposure to because he's a weightlifter causing oh, yeah. it, or is it or is it that he works in a toxic chemical environment that has uh, compromises testicular or ovarian, let me go back to women. Yes, please. Ovarian. Like having a panic attack over here because you veered off. Yeah, o ovarian ovarian production of testosterone and adrenal production of testosterone. So it's really very dependent, highly dependent upon lifetime, lifestyle and lifetime exposures to, to many things that determines the levels at which an individual find them, finds themselves. So... Well, one, one other thing that I know that we've run into is, and I don't know if it's testosterone or if it's the estradiol or progesterone or, or what, but we've run into women of a certain age that are menopausal or postmenopausal who have come back saying that their ob told them that they should not be on hormone replacement therapy. What are your thoughts on that? Yes. Tell Tracy in Wisconsin <laughs> what that means. <laughs> An absence of knowledge. An absence of knowledge. But it creates confusion and compromises confidence in the patient when you've got an OB gyning who is ignorant. Um, I'm so glad you said that. Well, I think I can get away with using that word better than you can. I think people take it harder when you <laughs> and come back and now they've got two different doctors saying two different things. And so it compromises confidence and care both ways. I mean, how do you address that? Well, I ad address that with the anecdote of how I've seen things evolve over the course of the time that I've been optimizing people. I think there are more, more gynecologists, obstetrician gynecologists that are aware of 
the benefits of hormones at, the, at this point in time than there were a decade ago, or even before that, 15 years ago when I actually started doing hormone replacement therapy. So I think they, realistically, things are evolving and there is a knowledge base getting out there. But again, 17 years is the average, not the norm. So 17 years being how long it takes for... Physicians to adopt a change in treatment based on where they what their knowledge base is. That's crazy. It, I mean, that's a lot. There's a lot of people who would fall in the gap or miss opportunities for modalities because... Well, you think about the damage. There was a study done on the damage, how many women were harmed by the Women's Health Initiative study that came out in the early 2000s that said that, that no women, woman should ever have hormone replacement therapy because it caused heart attacks and strokes and cancer and this and that and the other. And that was based on that was based on the use of synthetic hormones at the time. And there were a lot of complications and not bioidentical hormones, which there's never been any proof that. And in fact, the contrary, it decreases the risk of cancer, decreases of breast cancer and other solid tumors. It dec decreases the risk of cardiovascular disease, et cetera, et cetera. That's for the bioidenticals, but the synthetics are just fraught with blood clotting events and cancer and all of these other things because the stimulation of the receptors is so much stronger and so much more present that the science of those things is, will ultimately bear out that they probably shouldn't be used at all. What, synthetics? Synthetics. Yeah, I, so I, I think that a lot of that that old data from the synthetic study uh, is still being imposed upon patients by ignorant physicians. Well, and that's because you think about oral contraceptives. And I, I hate to say it, but my father was, he was there for the initiation of, and was the nation's best salesperson for three, three years in a row for oral contraceptives. And from Orthonovum and Branch of Johnson and Johnson back in the sixties, oh, sixties, yeah. So uh, those are things that we and now they're even stronger versions of those oral contraceptives. But again, I encourage my patients as soon as I see them, if they're on oral contraceptives, let's get off this and to try an alternative method of contraception. I generally recommend if it's tolerable, a non-hormone eluding IUD. Mm. Okay, going off topic, but yeah. I had another question. Maybe you need a little testosterone. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody wants to know, I am on bioidentical hormone replacement therapy. Although I have to say that I, I am not really sensitive to my own levels, but people around me seem to be very sensitive to my failure to comply with my BHRT. Mm. <laughs> So I rely on it's not funny. <laughs> rely on outside assessment. <laughs> Damn it, I can't remember that other question. I don't know. I guess I'll have to save it for next time. But real quick, we touched on pellets when we were talking about testosterone for men. Can you go back over that for women? Because I think a lot of women like the idea of the pellet instead of injections, probably like you said, for the convenience and whatnot, but there are pros and cons to that. Can you touch on that again? Well, I go back to the super physiologic levels that particularly for testosterone 
and that, and maybe for, I don't know the levels that are routinely attained by the estrogens and progestives, progesterone, but they're all bioidentical. I think the, uh, and there's never been any real contrary information come out about the, about the pellets long-term use, but I think the reservations I have are more related to the the superphysiologic levels, the lack of flexibility if there is a side effect or anything. And in my hands, we, there there is a tendency, particularly of the testosterone pellets, to to back out of the implantation sites. So those are those are all some reservations and some effects that I've seen over the course of the years. But again, I think uh, I think we. I'm open with my patients to using using either. However, I do tend to get a biological need assessment by using injections first, and then and making the assessment to for the pellets based on the consumption. Again, pellets are not flexible for significant modifications of lifestyle. For example, if someone were to become much more active in that. The levels, the dosing levels would have to be adjusted at a three-month interval or four-month interval as opposed to changing it within a week or two. So I think the science out there is pretty much complementary for both, but I know that the certainly the I, I have attempted in, over the years to use the transdermal formats. Transdermal formats are almost uniformly inadequate to obtain. Is that like a patch? A patch, the patches I would routinely to get good, good levels and good optimum levels. You would not get good levels. I would not get good levels. So it's a waste of. You think it's a waste of money. Waste of money, and yeah, and also it's uh, the transdermal forms. Even though they're not complicated with uh, increased risk of thromboembolic disease, and that they do potentially expose outside individuals to the hormones, and that can be some sometimes problematic also. Cool. And the creams, for sure. I mean, waste of money. Creams are the same thing. I mean, it's a transdermal format that exposes many more people to to the hormone. Actually, children, whatever. I mean, if you're using a transdermal format, you're spreading the cream on you, and then whatever is residual didn't come off your hands when you wash your hands. You're you're contacting, you're shaking hands with people, you're holding babies. Well, for the love of God, I hope they're washing their hands. Right. <laughs> okay. Awesome. Well, it's chock full of information. I hope y'all found it valuable. Listeners, if you have any questions or anything, feel free to reach out to us on our website at yourinfinitehealth.com. And until next time, stay healthy. Thanks for subscribing to Your Infinite Health. I'm Dr. Tripp. And I'm Lynnae. Until next time, feel it, look it, and live it.